Wild community, welcome to the podcast. If this is your first time joining us, welcome. If you've been with us for a long time, you're welcome also. But if you're new, our goal here at File is to help you become more effective as a technical artist, but also, more importantly, just as a human being, so that in turn your church can become more effective. And this podcast is one of the ways we do that. There's also the Philo Conference, which is in May of 2024. Uh, our book, I Love Jesus, But I Hate Christmas, a great resource with questions and stuff at the end of every chapter. Great for your teams as a discussion device. And then we have Philo Cohorts, which is just gathering small groups of technical artists, yeah, just like you and me from around the world, and the chance to really understand each other and be connected in community with others. We've been in full swing with our summer skills cohort, and they've been really amazing. And if you're listening in real time, we've got one more tomorrow. Unfortunately, it's too late to sign up, but we're with Christina Pendleton. She's going to be talking with us about lighting. And these cohorts have been a really great time, not only connecting with other technical artists from around the world in this kind of normal, traditional cohort, small group setting, but getting a chance to hear from someone who's doing amazing work at their church in a specific discipline. So for us at File, the plan moving forward is to provide these kind of skill-based cohorts again in the future, along with we'll be firing up some of our more traditional cohorts in the fall. And again, if you're new, Philo cohorts consist of about 10 technical artists from churches of all shapes and sizes, from all geographic places. And it's a chance to be in community with others just like you, who get you, who deal with similar challenges as you do. And it's six 90-minute sessions once a week facilitated by one of our Philo cohort leaders. And until we have exact information, you can sign up for the cohort waiting list to be the first to become aware of, you know, the latest in the cohort schedule. And for those of you who have been following the Philo journey over the years, you know that in January of 2023, we became a nonprofit organization. Pretty much everything we do is ministry-based, and we thought it was time to make a clear delineation between the production business that I own and the work that Philo does. And the work of Philo has been, for me personally, one of the most rewarding things in my life. I mean, I just can't believe that I get to be a part of it. And when I felt called by God to do it, I had no idea what was in store. And I've been amazed over and over again at the impact that Philo has had on people's lives, individuals and teams, and myself included. And Philo has helped a whole group of people feel seen and understood. You know, the people like you and me who don't normally get poured into. And along the way, the local church has gotten better as a result. And Nobody really knows this world like we do, and if we don't pour into each other, we already know that typically it won't happen. So I would just invite you to join me. You can head to philo.org donate to become an investor in the lives of people who are a part of the Philo community. Okay, now to the podcast. Our guest today is someone who has been part of the Philo journey since close to the beginning. Neil Sternberg is a leadership coach and has helped us navigate the challenges of having a business and creating the ministry of Philo. And we typically have an all-day strategy session right after Philo. And this year, we were talking about the podcast and figured it was time to have Neil on as a guest. So let's just get right to it. Neil Sternberg, welcome. Yeah, thanks, Todd. Glad to be here. Yeah. So I was thinking about how other than kind of we know each other just from the coaching that you provide, Philo and Fusion Productions, my other company, and just me personally, trying to think of like, where we first met, like how did we first cross paths? Yeah, and, that's um, a good question. Yeah, it is a good question. But the first thing I thought of was, 
we went to rival high schools at very different <laughs> time periods. Yeah, I was thinking about how at my school, you were our biggest rival. And I think at your school, we probably didn't even show up on, on your radar at all. So. Yes, yes, that is that is true. And I think we talked about it at one time and then you wrote me a thank you note for for hosting a speaker at Philo. Yeah. And I was reading the note and it was this really warm, heartfelt, you know, note that I knew you took a lot of time to write over a hot cup of coffee. And I was like, this is so sweet. And then at the very end it just said, Go Lancers. And I was yeah. like, why did he write that? What does that mean? And then yeah. it dawned on me. It was from the rival high school kind That's of throwback. Right. Yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't even remember what your uh, what your mascot was at your high school. Yeah. So I must not have cared that much either. So <laughs> turns out. Yeah. Yeah. It was an eagle, and I'm pretty sure a lancer would have killed an eagle. So yeah, yeah. yeah we can move on. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Anyway, we did work in organizations sort of living side by side. So I worked at Willow Creek Church, working with the at the time, the Willow Creek Association, which you were kind of working in both places. So yeah. maybe with that said, why don't you tell us maybe a little bit about what you do now and then kind of your journey to get to this point? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. So yeah, we would have overlapped at Willow. I spent a couple of years on staff there in the high school ministry. And so I spent some time on church staff and then over on the Willow Creek Association side, right as it became the Global Leadership Network. And served as director of marketing, which is kind of a fun business role mixed with ministry, and then became a strategist for them, which was a role that didn't exist, but I kind of created it. And they, yeah, signed off on it, which was really fun. So <laughs> for me, it was helping the Global Leadership Summit grow just more exponentially than it was. So it was fun for a while. And then I started my company now called Leadwell. And that was 2015. So it's been eight years going on nine oh, wow. years. Nice. Yeah, it's been a while. And and really that came out of a, you know, I was around leadership a lot. And I just saw this need where even at the Global Leadership Summit, you know, we'll, we'll talk about leadership concepts and it's a lot of external facing things that are all needed and helpful. But I also saw a need for leadership more internally too. And so for me, LeadWell works with leaders and teams to help them lead well, leverage their influence well. And the way that I do that is I play in the space of clarity of purpose, which I see as kind of the heart space, and clarity of strategy, which is more the head space. And a lot of times leaders have, you know, strategy um, kind of figured out and they kind of operate more heady. And, you know, and they think through plans and they're strategic or they operate out of this heart space of the real relational and they're visionary and have kind of this clarity of purpose with which they operate from. And I try to blend those two worlds of head and heart space. And I found that there's some pretty transformational conversations that I end up guiding teams and facilitating a lot kind of through those spaces where we can be both strategic and purposeful. Yeah. So that's a lot of the work that I do now. Yeah, that's cool. And I i mean, I've been a part of a lot of years of sort of working with you on those two things. And mm -hmm. I mean, in your experience, what do you notice is missing from people in our particular example? You know, they're working in the local church and, you know, the missing strategy or missing purpose. Like, mm. is it is it something you commonly see or one or the other is missing? Yeah, I'd be yeah. curious what you notice. 
Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, I've seen a lot of times like the Western church is very strategic, mm -hmm. but when you get outside the West, it actually is more heartfelt, but missing some of the strategy pieces. So that's one, one trend I would have seen. I think the other thing is I've just seen church leaders over time just go through the motions. Hmm. Yeah. So what's interesting for me is, especially because I work with churches, but I also work with for-profit businesses. And so I kind of get this perspective of both. And it's just, it's been really interesting for me to be in a church context. And I just see church leaders over time, like lose the heartbeat of why they were compelled by this whole thing in the first place. And they just end up going through the motions of whatever role they play, whether it's lead pastor, you know, all the way down to a producer, you know, technical artist, and it's just, well, this is what I do. And it just becomes a job mm -hmm. or it becomes, yeah, just something that's kind of monotonous and, you know, just same old, same old. And then it just loses its flicker. It loses the fire. It loses the inspiration, which is part of why I love Philo, because you guys like re-engage all of that and help mm -hmm. kind of ignite it again and bring people back to the original reason why they maybe were compelled by the church in the first place. But that would probably be it. And when yeah. you're when you're going through the motions, it can be really hard to be strategic because you're just going through the motions and being reactive. And it can also be really hard to have clarity of heart and purpose because you just don't feel inspired by the work anymore. So I've seen both and I try to, I think I try to speak to both of those, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, I think, do you feel like the going through the motions, is it because people feel like they don't have any control over what's happening or is it, mm. is it because they've, it's the same old, same old and they've just gotten stuck in the rut or is it more like I'm in this rut and I have no control over getting out of it? Yeah, yeah, it's a good question. I think it's probably multiple things. I don't know that it's one thing all the time for everyone in every context, mm -hmm. but, but the through line I would say is, and I would have way more interest in the aspect of the answer that's actually in people's control that they may not realize, yeah. which is they're going through the motions in part because people almost by default become, I've just seen them become unintentional. Mm, so, yeah. So there's this aspect of where, okay, I wake up every day, I do the same thing, and they almost respond as if it's being done to them. My boss yeah. is so frustrating. Like, I can't believe they're asking me to do this. Like I, you know, and it just becomes this, like the frustrations build, the, you know, it's just not inspiring anymore versus leaders who choose and, and, and recognize that they have a choice and that they yeah. can be intentional with that to go, I'm going to remind myself every day of why I'm doing this and I'm going to be strategic with my week and with my month and with my year. And I, I'm going to like practice the agency that I have to choose to engage work in such a way that is really both inspiring to me, but I can like be who I am. Yeah. And anytime we do both of those things, it's going to be way better. And it's, that's not going through the motions. Yeah. I mean, I think for most of the people in our Philo community, being one of them at one time, for me, you feel like you're kind of at the bottom of the decision pyramid or whatever. You're whatever's yeah. happening way upstream. That's what happens to me. My whole job is based on the needs of other people and trying to execute them. And I think it's real easy to just get in this place of, well, this is just, it's being done to me. Mm -hmm. I mean, how do you, if you find somebody in that situation, like how do you 
have your own strategy? How do you have, yeah. uh, you know, tap into your own heart for the ministry when, you know, feels like all you're doing is fulfilling somebody else's heart for the ministry? Yeah. I'm going to answer that kind of in a unique way. So <laughs> if, if we were to throw a party, right, and you were to have um, friends over on a weekend or like it, you know, we, let's say July 4th and you're, you're throwing a July 4th party. We would all show up probably in a little different nuanced way to the party. Yeah. Some people would host the party because they're great at hosting and they love hospitality. Some people would show up with dessert and it wouldn't just be one dessert. It would be like five different desserts because, you know, they just love variety and they're, you know, like love celebrating and that's their form of it. Or maybe they just love dessert. Yeah. Some people would show up with fireworks, you yeah. know, cause they're like, ah, and they're like just the life of the party and they show up a certain way. Other people show up with a gift because yeah. they knew someone's going to be there at the party and they know something that's going on in their life. And they are just like, Hey, even though it's July 4th, I'm going to bring this gift and give it to them and like seek out this moment and this connection one-on-one. -on -one. Yeah. All these different facets of how we might show up to the party you know, somebody might bring five people because they're a networker and connector. Yeah. And I just think when we take that same idea and we bring it to the workplace, we like lose ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. We're like, everyone's doing the same thing where it's just like, okay, well, I, this is being done to me or this is being asked of me or my boss is a bother. I don't like working with this teammate or like, man, I just, and we, we like, we just start to lose ourselves. So for me, I think so much of it is bringing all of who you are to your work. Yeah. It's a way to honor. I really believe like work is sacred and it's a way to bring honor to the work itself while also bringing honor to yourself and who you are and the connection between the two. And then obviously the other people you work with. So for me, some of the work that I do with people is in the vein of helping them gain a self-awareness of who they are. Yeah. Which might sound simple or like, ah, you know, but it's like truly <laughs> if if you know the unique gifts that you hold, those are both for work and for your family and for your friends and for like fill in the blank. It's for you to show up in full with those things. So for someone who is that encourager, if they just show up and go through the motions every day, just doing what they're being asked to they're not being true to themselves. Yeah. And like they not only suffer for it, so does everyone around them. Because if they showed up and they were the encourager to all their teammates and they like, that was actually the unique way with which they engaged work. Again, that's one facet. I just think that's a lot of what's missing. The self-awareness of who we are and what unique gifts we hold and then how to bring those to the workplace in a way that's almost an antidote to the going through the motions. Why is it that we do that? I mean, why do we show up not as our full selves to work? I mean, is there is it something yeah. unique at, at church? Is it something in our society? Is it, you know, it doesn't matter yeah. where you work, we struggle with it? Yeah, we don't drink enough coffee in the morning. <laughs> so we show up tired. <laughs> That's not kidding. the case for me today. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, no. I'm jacked so right now. <laughs> yeah. so it's too much coffee. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, that's a that's another good question that I that I think is multifaceted for people. Mm -hmm. I would say again for me it goes back to intentionality. Are you pursuing greater awareness of who you are? Yeah. 
And that journey looks different, I think, for everyone. Right. Really to discover who you are in that like identity question, but also not only identity, but also also like what your unique gifts are. And I and I'll just to speak this for a second, like I had done all like so many of the assessments, maybe not everyone that's out there, but you know, from the Enneagram to Myers-Briggs to Strength Finders to Disc Assessment to, uh, you know, go down the list on and on and on and on and on. And I actually like part of how I got into the work that I was doing is I had taken a Word document and fleshed out like what I thought my talents were based on all these assessments and written description. I was trying to figure it out. I was on a journey of like, what talents and gifts do I actually hold? Yeah. And then... I had mapped out every work opportunity at a certain point, who I worked with, and then what I liked, hated, or was just okay about that job based on the main responsibilities I had. And I was trying to figure out like what resonated with me, what didn't. And I actually did the same for the people, which can probably sounds really judgmental of me. <laughs> but I was just trying to figure it out like, who did yeah. I love? Who did I hate? It was just okay based on the dynamics of the team. Yeah, yeah. And, and I know we've talked about life plan, that yeah. process, you know, it comes from Patterson Center. And I've done a lot of work in that space too and taken about 85 people through that process in the last four or five years. And in that process, you know, it's just one look, it captures the uniqueness of people's talents and gifts. And I just think when people become awakened to that, like, this is who I am, oh my goodness, and you give words to it. Yeah, yeah. You, you can more easily hold and take those things with you into the workplace and leverage them. Right. But if you don't know you have them, or it's a skewed view of it, or you don't know how to fully like harness them, or, or for example, like strength finders, it's great, but like strategic is my number one in strength finders. That's the same for so many people, either number one or a top five. Right, right. What's different about me than the next person who is strategic? Yeah. Like I, I have to have some other sense of what the unique aspect in how I'm strategic. So yeah, I think as people discover their unique talents that way, they can leverage them at work and be excited to show up with them. And I, I think that's part of it. People are more unaware than we we realize. Yeah. I mean, I think just thinking about my own journey of self-awareness, I'm usually running so hard that I'm not pausing long enough to even think about it. In the world of production, just it's getting stuff done. We're moving on to the next thing. We're like, yeah, yeah, just always moving. And that's not maybe unique to the world of production, but especially when uh, at a local church, the events just keep coming and coming and coming. And uh, we all yeah. joke that, you know, summer will take some time off. Well, you know, VBS and all this <laughs> other stuff going on. Yeah, there's just not yeah. time to stop. And so what ends up happening is you're working too much. You're kind of losing the heartbeat. You're not pausing long enough to know who you are to yeah. show up and be intentional. And yeah. just it's sort of like this vicious cycle of not stopping yeah. long enough to to really define, you know, what you're good yes. at. I, I think, Todd, honestly, you just define the norm. Yeah. We talk about it like it's not, but mm-hmm. it actually is. Like that is that is the standard. That is mm-hmm. the norm and churches are no exception. And from my experience, it's almost worse, to be honest. Yeah. That's just from what I've seen in working with church leaders versus business leaders. Mm-hmm. It's almost, it seems worse to me. Where the pace is such that, that it's not sustainable, we have not discovered the strategic pause 
and slowing and prioritizing of some of the most important things that would actually make the work more life-giving, more fulfilling, yeah. more meaningful. I think that the thing that's fascinating to me, you know, I haven't worked too many places in my life, but the thing about working at a church is that I'm giving up a little bit of maybe income to do something that I am passionate about. And so when you sort of combine your passion area with the place that you work, and it's a, you know, the the stakes are high, you know, it's like Mm -hmm. there's a spiritual dimension to what we're doing that it makes it very difficult to step away or to say no to some some request because, you know, oh gosh, this is going to really help the ministry. And whereas like making it a regular job, I can, you know, this is off hours and, you know, Maybe if I'm hourly, okay, you're going to pay me for those. But otherwise, yeah. I can I can pull away. Versus yeah. the in some respects the ministry job, it's just hard to get off that treadmill of of working, working, working because the purpose is so lofty. Yeah, it almost is an unintentional way with which we, like we operate as if church. And this spiritual dimension is more important than me as an individual person. Yeah, yeah. Right? And there's just this like overlooking of that where like you can lose yourself in that. I love, it reminded me as you were saying that of, uh, some may have heard about this before, but it reminded me of what Dallas Willard said when asked, you know, if you could describe Jesus with one word, what would it be? And Dallas Willard didn't hesitate and he said, unhurried. Yeah. Yeah. And he, and he said, you know, hurry is the great enemy of the spiritual life. Hmm. So we have to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our life. Yeah. And John Mark Comer wrote a great book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry that speaks to that. But that's really what we're getting at. Like you're talking about to take the pause and you're doing things spiritual. Well, I mean, Jesus got away on a mountainside, away from the crowd many times. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, just <laughs> looking at his example, it's, it's funny sometimes, like he, he was unhurried and yet, you know, his work was pretty important. Yeah. So, I mean, it probably speaks a lot to the intentionality of life, you know, just like to, to be very intentional about, I need to get away and it's a good thing instead of, yeah. I need to get away and I should probably be able to handle this better and not have to get away, you know, that, that we're yeah. telling ourselves that, yeah, there's so much work to do that yeah. I got to stay with it. Absolutely. It reminds me even one of the things he talks about in there and my family heritage kind of background is part Jewish. It's mm-hmm. actually the you know primary ethnicity of my family. Yeah, and just the practice of Sabbath, mm-hmm. which is the practice of really, you know, stopping, resting, delighting, worship, yeah. like those elements. And we've started doing that as a family you know, within this past year. And it's been, I don't know if there's anything like it Hmm. to be on it. Like it it feels like we opened a door to another world I didn't know existed because Mm. it, I just think it's built into the fabric of how God designed us. And it's why when you look back, it was such a gift to the, you know, Jewish people, but yet it was for everyone. And just this pause, this literal stopping of all the normal activities to allow ourselves to engage with remembering who God is and who we are in lieu of that reality, but also to like stop and rest and delight and with people we love and, you know, things we enjoy. And uh, yeah. 
And I think the thing that's fascinating to me is that for you, so I think I'm just going to play devil's advocate for a second. You own your own business. You can make all the decisions. You know, you're, you can do, you know, a Sabbath day yeah. with your family. Good for you. But I think, uh, yeah. Um, but the the reality is, I like this devil's advocate yeah, version right. of you. This is good. <laughs> yeah, Neil, blah blah blah, whatever. Yeah. Um, the uh, I think the the reality though is that you have to be intentional about making that time because, you know, I think what a lot of people don't realize if you don't own a business, that in some ways it just never stops. You can't. It's harder to shut yeah, off. No. As someone who's been a production person for years and now, you know, business owner. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 very different, but it also like, well, if I stop, then it stops. Right. And so yes. in some ways it's maybe more difficult to be intentional. Yeah. But you know, it still takes work on your part to make that space happen. Yeah. Yeah, I appreciate the devil's advocate. <laughs> yeah. It's it's fun and and it's also just a myth. I yeah. mean, to think that, hey, you own your own business, therefore you can easily carve out more time. I mean, I could play it back the other way where like there's always more to do. Yeah. And you know that from owning, you know, businesses as well. And I actually, after this last year, there's a longer story to it, but I own two businesses now. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and then I've got three kids that are all under the age of 12. And for anyone with kids, you know what I'm talking <laughs> about. It just, I mean, it's like, there's always something grabbing for your attention. Mm-hmm. So it it really boils down to what is most important and what are our priorities and and then how can we be intentional about those things? And I'm asking very simple questions, but Todd, in my experience, like for those listening, I when was the last time you slowed down enough to ask one of those simple questions? Yeah. To say, yeah. what is most important right now? A question I'll commonly ask when I coach people. And you've probably heard me ask you uh, this, Todd, and I've asked Chelsea before, is what is something that is on your mind the most right now that's just like grabbing for your attention? Take inventory. And if you slow down and you actually like take inventory, it's often the things that are on our mind the most are really important things that are not getting the attention they deserve. Mm -hmm. And so they keep coming back over and over again. It's a way for our minds and bodies and hearts to tell us like, hey, you have not like spent time with your son or your daughter like in a while and you know it and you're feeling it. Mm -hmm. Hey, you haven't connected with your husband or your wife or like, you know, there's just these important things bubble up or like, hey, that conversation, that conflict that happened, you you should probably spend some time and engage some conversation to resolve that. Or maybe it's a work thing or a priority that you just keep putting off. So that can be a helpful, more practical tip for people maybe to take inventory as a starting yeah. place. But I really think that's what it boils down to is what is most important because we live in a culture that loves the hustle. Yeah. And, you know, I hate to say it, but I think church culture has become a lot of that in my for experience sure. yeah. where we just hustle and, you know, we haven't valued as highly the Hey, let's let's all take a strategic pause and actually take a breather. And we're gonna we're gonna actually what can we say no to? That's a conversation <laughs> that <laughs> I brought to churches, and you just get the like laughs in the room. But then the like you watch everyone <laughs> settle in and go, "Are we allowed to actually have this conversation?" Right, right. Yeah. 
So as in, as an individual person, your Philo community, when you feel like you're not a business owner, you don't have like necessarily the, the ability to just like flip the switch off. Like there's demands on you. Yeah. One of the things that I would encourage is taking inventory. You have to prioritize. And then also like look for the spaces where you're actually creating the pressure and expectation that isn't necessarily there. Yeah. So what can happen is we feel like we have to return that email that evening. We feel like, well, I would take Friday off, but they need me. I mean, just see what happens if you say, you know what, we're going to take a weekend away as a family. I know they would like to have me there, but I'm going to give them a few weeks notice and I'm going to take the time off and just watch what happens. Yeah. They'll figure it out. Yeah. And it'll be okay. And that email or phone call you don't return for 24 hours, nobody thought twice. <laughs> they didn't question you. We put these pressures for and expectations sure. on ourselves. So that's another thing I would just look out for more practically yeah. if leaders are feeling the pressure of it. Yeah. I mean, I think there's so much good stuff in what you're saying. And it's reminded me of a couple things. One is Jack Welch, who used to be the CEO of GE and, you know, some good and some bad there. But one thing he said in one of his books was just this, this idea that your boss wants you to live a balanced life, whatever that looks like for you. They want, mm -hmm. uh, they want you to like figure out the work-life balance, but they want you to figure it out. Like no one else is going to do it for you. I mean, on some level, your boss doesn't even know what you do. And so therefore right. they don't even understand what, what you would need to, to go away for the weekend. And so totally. yeah, it's up to us to figure it out and be, you know, communicate and, you know, find all the volunteers to fill in for us and, you yeah. know, be good with, you know, yeah, yeah, maybe the standard drops a little bit, but yeah. we're also developing people at the same time. And yeah, I'm yeah. getting away. Maybe that's, that's how we define excellence, you know, that one. Yeah. But no one's going to yeah. help you do it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that strikes me what you're saying, Todd, because, you know, it, it's so true. Like, it's not because your boss is a terrible person. Yeah. They're probably, they they're care. probably not. Yeah. Yeah. But they're not, they're not going to be the ones to choose for your family each time. Yeah. Like yeah. their job is to, you know, move the organization forward in some way. And it's your job to actually, you know, be intentional with your family. I, something I'll say a lot to people I coach is like, cheat work, not your yeah, family. Yeah. yeah. So if you're going to like cheat time somewhere and cheat, like giving more time and giving more energy and more focus and more attention, like that's another thing I often will have leaders take inventory on. Like, are you cheating your family? Or are you cheating work? Or like, you know, what, wh how does that land on you? Yeah. So we're like, oh yeah, I'm giving extra time to work and I yeah. don't necessarily need to. As a community, we're stereotypically known for saying no a lot, but I think the reality is that saying yes is a lot easier. If I say yes, it, yeah, okay, I'm working, I'm sacrificing myself here, but it's easier, like I don't have to have a hard conversation with somebody and I, yeah. I um, don't have to really think about, you know, the important things, uh, you know, I just keep going through the motions. It's maybe more comfortable, but yeah. there's so much about what we're doing, not just tech people, but anybody, you know, it's like, yeah. it takes work to figure out, you know, how do I live more intentionally? Yeah. Yeah. One of the other things I was thinking of as you were talking is I just did a thing on Instagram last week about Galatians 6, 9, which is that verse that says, 
never grow tired of doing good for at the proper time, you will reap a harvest if you don't give up. And there's something really encouraging about that verse, but I would say most often I'm like, well, I I like the doing good part and don't Mm -hmm. give up. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm there, but you know, it says don't grow tired, but I'm pretty exhausted. And so I must be doing something wrong, you know? And I think mm-hmm. as I was reading that verse last week, it just struck me that, you know, never grow tired, you know, just that very first few few words, that's where the work is. That's the, the part mm-hmm. of like, I've got to do something mm-hmm. uh, intentional so that that part can be true. Because I'm doing good, yeah, I like doing that. And, you know, I'm a tenacious person, so never giving up, it, you know, feels like those are yeah. the easy two, but the never grow tired it's not just something you do. You snap your fingers and it happens. You do, you got to work at it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Build, build I, a system in your life to so that that's true. Yeah, that's so good. I one of the things in the showed up in the life plan process, and then I've read and studied even more on it is just like the remedy for exhausted, which so many leaders feel, so many church leaders feel, and mm-hmm. those listening, I bet if you don't feel it now, you have in the past, but you will in the future. And it's just, what is the remedy for that? You know, and, and part of it is, yes, we know like, you know, Jesus has come to me, you know, all those that are weary and heavy laden or burdened, I'll give you rest. So Mm -hmm. I do think there's rest in our relationship with Jesus. But I also think, you know, to understand, you kind of just said it, like the rhythms that actually encourage life and that just give us kind of rest in another form. And there's a great book, trying to remember the the author of it. It's called Sacred Rest. And and it speaks in there about the different forms of rest. And yeah, and just to kind of tease it out a little bit, like, you know, if you think about the acronym PIES, not that eating pies is restful, you'll probably feel <laughs> terrible be. and need a nap yeah, afterwards. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it could be. It's Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving's coming. <laughs> yeah. But it's P is physical, Right. So what are the forms of like replenishment or ways that you refuel yourself and therefore you feel the, the refueling through some physical activity? Mm-hmm. And for some that's I know we've talked taught about running yeah. and, you know, running has been that for other people. It's literally just a leisurely walk for others. It's like high intensity workouts four times a week. But understanding like what are the specific activities that that have you physically active and that are also replenishing for you and what cadence or how often do you need to do them in any given week? Mm-hmm. So for me, I need to be, I need to like really run three times a week. And then usually I've gotten into yoga a little bit. That's a whole other story. And <laughs> I used to hate it, but it's awesome. And then some sort of strength training. So it's really like a five day a week, physical, physically active. The I is intellectual. So there's a, you know, listening to podcasts, like could be something even like this, where you're mm-hmm. actually in your mind. For some people, it's reading or it's documentary type or it's, you know, and I'm not talking about like, watch all the Lord of the Rings movies, intellectually <laughs> replenishing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. that's not what we're talking about. You've watched about. them 30 um, times. You don't need to yeah. watch them the 31st Yeah, you're time. quoting yeah. as you go. <laughs> it's, you know, it's, it's no longer. Hey, man, Neil, shut up, okay? <laughs> Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Somebody somebody just turned the podcast off uh, after that. I know it. Yeah. There's going to be at least a couple people. Yeah. So the intellectual piece of 
just how often, how much time, and it's something we usually don't give ourselves. I know for me, this one's a struggle, but mm-hmm. anytime I sit down with a book and I'm actually like reading, and for me, I, I have to like hold the book. You yeah. know, I can't do it electronically. Then E is emotional. Mm-hmm. Todd, I've taken 85 people ranging from their, you know, 20s all the way up to the oldest person who was 70 years old, came in to do life plan, probably perfectly split or real close to perfectly split 50-50 men versus women. Okay. And emotional like replenishment is the one that I see the most strong majority just as just not understood. Huh. Or like these these competent, you know, capable, driven leaders and the emotional space, it's like, okay, what are we talking about? Like how do I do that? <laughs> what does that look like? Yeah. We're 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 and I actually think when you're moving so fast, like we're talking about, not being intentional about this, you know, the emotional space, we just blow right by it. Right. Until we reach a point of burnout. Right. Then we're like, oh, wait a minute, time out. Like your body will stop you and your emotions will come like a flood if you're not doing some work there. For some people, they've gotten in a rhythm where journaling or could be a conversation with the right person. This is kind of the counseling therapy space. Yeah. So for me, I was the guy who was like, you know, there may be some listening that are like, oh gosh, here we go again. Someone's talking about counseling or therapy. <laughs> I've heard people, I've heard people reference it as a rent a friend who don't understand <laughs> it. Or like, you know, and it's just a it comes with perceptions for some people. I get yeah. it. I was that person. Mm-hmm. Here's what I would say. Counseling therapy has been the most personally and professionally developmental thing I've ever done in my life. Wow. And I am, you know, more than eight years into it. I've invested, I can't think of something I've invested more money or time into. Hmm. And that may sound crazy, but there is this piece of just like, if you can, if you can get some help by, and you know, there's some really great counselors, there's some really bad ones out there too, but if you can find (laughs) someone you connect with who's who's really good it just this emotional space to feel connected settled present you know i used to operate with this low-grade anxiety that was just normal for me yeah okay and i didn't know any different so for some listening they might go oh yeah i think well you don't have to live that way and part of it's coming from things because there's things in our story and things to work through so that emotional space is a really important one i would like highlight to just make an investment in. And then the last one is spiritual. And this one is, you know, connection with God and space and time. And in in the church world, this can come with a flood of shoulds. I've seen church leaders almost like replace their own relationship with Jesus with the work that they're doing. For sure, yeah. I work for a church, therefore like that one's taken care of. And I think like, I just have seen working with church leaders, I've been pretty shocked. I've stopped full meetings, Todd, with like an executive team at a church and gone, hey, we're going to like just take an hour and a half and I'm going to have you just go pray Hmm. and like discern what the Lord is saying and we'll come back together and talk about it as a team and see if we can't like find our way through maybe something he's saying to all of us. And it's like, it's, it's as if they've never done it before. Right, right. Not pray, but like pray together and discern and actually like engage with the Lord. And And this is what I think it takes different forms, obviously for some, like it could be, it could look like devotionals in the way that we've heard about it, reading your Bible, praying. I know for me, I grew up in a Baptist church and it was like, do your devos. And yet I had this prophetic gift that these 
church leaders didn't understand. And so they used to call it kind of silly. Well, now I've fully understood ways of connecting with God that look very different for me. Yeah. And, you know, that are usually prayerful throughout the day that are asking God, like, would you help me see? Would you give me a word? Would you like, I, I want to hear from you. And it's, it's way more relational. Hmm. So whatever form that takes for people, some it's worship music, but don't overlook that piece of your relationship. Like yeah. it, it is, it's critical. So all these things together, just kind of teasing them out are ways of having rest and being intentional where we can engage our work and engage life more filled up, more right. refueled yeah. and replenished. But you got to be intentional about identifying what they are and actually yeah. engaging them. And I think too, just to talk about the spiritual side, I don't know if it's a human nature thing that, you know, I go to church, I expect you to fill me up for the worship to yeah. be at a certain level, for the the message to be a certain way. And so yeah. then you layer that over top of a bunch of technical artists sitting in the booth and, you know, sitting through every service and, well, you know, yeah. I'm working during church, so I'm not getting anything out of it, Yeah, which, I mean, you're working, so uh, that would make some level of sense. But it just highlights the idea that this is for us to figure out. This is for me it to is. spend time in God's word or to figure out how how I do yeah. get filled up spiritually, that it's not just an automatic thing and I or somebody else's responsibility. And I can remember, this is going back a long time, but I got to work early one day. I, I love being in the office early. And so I was the only one there and I was reading my Bible and one yeah. of the teaching pastors came through, You know, he got there a little bit after I did. He's like, oh, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm reading my Bible. And he's like, "Are you reading your Bible because you're for yourself, or are you doing? Are you reading it for work?" And um, I, <laughs> I was reading it for work. <laughs> I was uh, trying to get ready for like a team meeting or something, and wanted you know some sort of inspiration. Yeah. And I think it's just so easy to get stuck in, Ooh. you know, that the work that we do is attached to our spiritual life in a certain way. And so it, yeah, yeah it's like a very strange dynamic to to get that part yeah. close to right. Yeah. Yeah, totally. It's tricky. Like I, I feel for church leaders and having, you know, had my work also be in a church before it is, it's just really tricky. You know, I think one of the things I'd encourage, even as you're saying all that is just also not to like, like we can get into work mode yeah. as if it's so separate from the rest of our life. True. I, and I did, I did this for a long time. And yet what I've come to find out is like, like who I am, and the pieces of me that love my family and are family oriented and this work piece of me and my relationship with God and like, it's way more integrated. Yeah. It just is integrated. I don't have to treat them so separate. So even the picture of like these technical artists sitting in the back on a Sunday and you're in work mode, what would it look like? And maybe some have an easier time than others and it would make, you know, would make sense based on how you're wired up. But it's also like, what would it look like just to be prayerful going into a Sunday and going, help me, you know, Lord, would you help me just to serve this congregation and serve these people really well today? And like, I, I also want to experience you today mm, yeah. while I work and I want to see you and I want to, you know, and it's like, you know, don't forget to move to the next slide, but like, <laughs> you know, yeah. there's, 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 there's this piece of like, I really believe like the Lord may just honor that and meet you there. Yeah, yeah. But but you have to 
want to meet with him and be looking for him and all those things, just like we would a, a good friend, you know? Right, right. Like, hey, the door's open so they can come in and sit at the table and then we can, you know, engage with yeah. each other and connect. I think the thing about weekend services is that it there's so much about it that lends itself to going through the motions. Wait, was, you know, it's like, it's every week, it's roughly the same. You know, it's so it easy to just get in the rhythm of how to get it done. Yeah. And even, okay, the once the message starts, unless you're doing the graphics, the rest of us can like look at email or, you know, just disengage, which is a lot simpler than, you know, how can God meet me here today kind of mentality. But yeah, I just love that idea. Even, you know, maybe that's a challenge for us this coming weekend, like as you're driving in, to, to say that prayer, God, show me yourself while I'm doing this thing. Yeah. Yeah, I love yeah. that. Yeah, and I, I think it's, that's one of the advantages of working for a church. You know, not that God can't meet you in other workplaces, he, he yeah, will yeah. and can, but also like that's part of the gathering. Yeah. You know, not just for the people there and you're just a pawn in the process, but that it can be for you too. Yeah. You know, it's like it's like the disciples when they were with Jesus doing the work, there was also something for them. Yeah. You know, it wasn't just like, hey, not for you, only for, you know, these other people. Yeah. Another resource came to mind and it's top of mind because Tim Keller, who recently passed away. Yeah. There's a incredible book. This is one of those books that I, I honestly think I highlighted more of it than I didn't. Like, <laughs> yeah, I got time to, to get out a different like, color. Yeah, like, yeah, 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 I was like, yeah. oh my goodness, I may as well have just not done that. <laughs> yeah, it's called it's called Every Good Endeavor, and he he lays out really a like theology of work and a way of thinking about work. And he, it, you know, I say theology, and I, I don't mean to turn anyone off by that. It's not a heady. It's sure. not a heady read. It's it, it actually is very accessible and it is, gosh, I, I'm so grateful for some of his work before he passed. This one really changed mm. my perspective on work and how I engage work and how I, yeah, just how I show up in the work that I'm called to do. And yeah. I think it could be a helpful one. Yeah, that's good. I might have to pick that one up. Yeah, yeah. So maybe to connect <laughs> something from earlier and Tim Keller, yeah. I was once doing a sound check with him for the leadership summit. And I said, yeah. Hey, can you just yeah. uh, tell us how your trip was? Or like, we just need you to talk into the mic. And so yeah. he started quoting poetry. He started like reciting poetry. And <laughs> oh, I was man. like, okay, well, I mean, whatever, that's fine. As long as, you know, we're getting a good signal or whatever. But then I realized like, wait a second, this is like from Lord of the Rings. He's like memorized poetry <laughs> from Lord of the Rings. I love this guy. <laughs> Oh man! <laughs> oh, There's so a, another Lord of the Rings connection. That That's was right. that was nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I said, I think you're my favorite speaker ever. So yeah, yeah. quoting oh Lord gosh. of the Rings. Anyway, uh, Neil, this has been so great. I feel like we could probably do another podcast sometime soon just to keep the conversation going. But thanks for making time mm. for us. Thanks for really yeah. the the way that you've help shape and help the direction for Philo and Fusion Productions. And I mean, a lot of the good that has come out of both those things you've been a part of. So just thanks for yeah. your part in speaking into my life and Chelsea's life and the life of Philo. Just so yeah. can't imagine where we would be without your input. So thank you. Yeah. Well, you're welcome. That's, that's really kind. And 
yeah, it's been fun to fun to be on here and chat today. So thanks for thanks for having me on. I don't always know where we'll end up, but a conversation with Neil is always super eye-opening for me personally. There's a ton about our chat I loved. I'm always talking about the importance of being intentional and not just going through the motions, but I think it's just so easy to get off track and just let life start dragging you around. And so I just so appreciate the reminder, Neil. Also, I love the idea of becoming aware of who I actually am. You know, what am I designed for? And without this awareness, I think it can be so difficult to understand why certain things trigger me or why I respond in certain ways in certain situations. And most of what we do as technical artists in the local church requires a ton of non-technical knowledge and knowing ourselves feels like a big one that we don't spend enough time on. Yeah, so I just appreciate that reminder. All right, don't forget, go to philo.org slash donate if you wanna help make a difference in the lives of technical artists like you. And you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at at Philo Community. And you can also subscribe to our newsletter or this podcast to stay up to date on everything going on in Philo land. All right, that's it for now. Thanks for joining us. Mm-hmm.